Good morning. If you want to turn to 1 Timothy 1, that's where we'll be for the majority of this lesson. 1 Timothy chapter 1. But before we get to that, I have just a few, uh, well really just one thing that I want to talk about. And that is, you may have noticed there's a new sign-up sheet on the back that says something about there being an in-home study. And uh, that's one of the things that we're planning on bringing to Fairview in 2024, is this idea of, you know, I really enjoy seeing everybody here on Sunday and Wednesday, but I just don't think it's enough. I think we need to be together more often. And so... The idea of this is one Tuesday night a month. It's the second Tuesday of every month. It's going to start at 6.30. We're going to meet together in someone's home, and we're going to have one teacher that's going to give a pretty short little devotional on a basic Bible subject, and then after, maybe we'll sing a couple hymns and just get to spend some time together. The idea is that if there's been somebody that maybe you've been wanting to talk to the gospel or talk about the gospel too, but maybe it's a little intimidating for them to come to a full worship service with a whole group of people that they don't know. Well, maybe they would be a lot more willing to hang out at somebody's house for a little bit and to, to share just a few snacks after a little Devo together. And so... That's something that we're going to bring 2024. We've got the first four teachers up. If you're interested in teaching that or in hosting one of those sessions, we've got all the dates and all the information on the board in the back. And if you have any questions, you can ask me or Jacob. But we are very excited to bring that to Fairview in 2024, just to be active together, moving towards the same purpose in these in-home studies. We're excited for it. Anyway, if you're back in 1 Timothy 1, that's where we'll spend our time today. I don't have to tell you, you know from personal experience, but everyone in here has sinned. And the question is, what do you do after that? But sin brings a lot of nasty, terrible things. And one of the things that sin brings is this overwhelming sense of guilt and unworthiness when you realize how good and perfect our God is and how we have fallen short of His good and perfect way. And some of that comes out of a true and honest humility, I'm sure. It's not a bad thing by any means to remember how perfect God is and how short we fall of that mark. But there is a sense in which this guilt can become so heavy and can become so big in our lives that we allow it to sit between us and God. We carry this package, this weight of guilt with us all throughout our lives. And we let it keep us from God, from His people, and from coming to Him in true repentance. We let our guilt sometimes hold us back from being who we know that we should be. 
That is not the gospel of God. The gospel is not a gospel that intends us to live in guilt, to be weighed down by our guilt. It is not a heavy gospel. There's a reason why Jesus says his gospel is light, his path is light and easy. It's because the gospel of God is a gospel that intends to free us from these things such as guilt. And so that's what we're going to talk about some today, is that how do we get from this place of knowing that we've sinned, knowing how unworthy we are, but not letting ourselves be limited by this guilt, not letting ourselves be held back by our past. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy. Paul's going to be really honest with us. Paul's going to look us in the eye and he's going to say, hey, I was the worst sinner that anyone ever could possibly be. I was the worst of them. And yet, I'm on a new path now. And you can do the same thing. So that's what we're going to look at in 1 Timothy 1. How Paul can go from living in this guilt to living in strength and thankfulness. And we're going to start just by reading this whole passage together. If you're with me in 1 Timothy 1, I'm going to start in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So this passage comes to us from a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And as you know, Paul was a great mentor to Timothy And 1st and 2nd Timothy essentially are documents of this sort of wise advice that Paul gives to his his child in the faith, Timothy. And this ranges from everything on how a church should function, what the roles of preachers are, what the roles of elders and deacons are, all the way down to just how to be a Christian in this messed up world. And as Paul starts 1 Timothy, he begins really, he opens this letter talking about all the false teachers out there. There's a lot of people that are saying a lot of things and claiming to be from God, but actively preaching what God doesn't say to preach. And he talks about all of the false teachers out there, but he concludes that section with saying that in verse 11, that the gospel was entrusted to him. That the reason he knows what God says is because God has let him be entrusted with the gospel. And what we just read, verses 12 through 17, is really picking up on that same thought. 
where Paul kind of takes an aside to say, okay, yes, I know I just said that the gospel was entrusted to me, but I'm not saying that because I deserved the gospel to be entrusted to me. I'm not saying that because God looked down and saw me and said, that guy is worthy of having the gospel entrusted to me. Paul said, that's not what it is at all. I received mercy for a very, very different reason. So let's take some time in this lesson today to look at what Paul really says. He gives a few reasons why he says he was entrusted with mercy, entrusted with the gospel. And I think that there are some things that we can find very relatable in this passage. So if you want to start with me again, we'll just look at verses 12 through 14 again. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 14. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul starts this section, and really ends this section too, as we'll see later, as he so often does with thanksgiving for God. That's the end caps of this passage. Whatever happens in the middle is rooted in the fact that Paul says this all comes from God. I thank Jesus that he has done this for me. And look at what Paul is really saying here. Paul says, God has given me strength. And he's not talking about some sort of abundance of physical strength. Paul's not talking about setting like a personal best in his squat record. Paul is talking about the idea that God has given him the ability to, well, just look at what Paul says. He says, look at, look at these three examples of strength that he, that he gives here. Paul says that this strength that God has given me, God sees me as a faithful servant now. That I have received his mercy and grace. That God has shown me faith and love through Jesus. Notice the strength that Paul says that he has. And notice how little it has to do with Paul. Paul said, here's the strength that God has given me to be able to look to him for all strength. Here's the strength that Paul has given me to tr- or that God's given me to trust God to provide for me in his strength. The strength that Paul says that he has received from God is strength in the promises and character of God. Paul's strength isn't of himself at all. Paul says, I thank God for the strength that is being able to rely on God as my refuge. And that's really the idea that he builds on here. The first way that we can really see Paul deal with this weight of sin, and that's that he finds comfort and strength in God. Paul finds a new purpose in following Jesus. I really relate to what Paul says here. Paul seems almost surprised that Jesus would even give him the time of day. Paul seems shocked that Jesus would care about him. Paul says, look, I was a blasphemer 
I was a persecutor. I was an opponent of all things that came from Jesus. I was ignorant. I was unbelieving. Paul says, as far as you could go the other way from Jesus, that's where I was. And yet, Jesus chose to show me mercy and give me strength in forgiveness. Paul says, God doesn't hold my former life against me now. God doesn't hold that over me. Instead, the grace and mercy and love of God has allowed me to repent, has allowed me to follow God faithfully. And Paul finds a place in Jesus' kingdom. Look at the contrast of what Paul really says. Paul said, here's the strength of Jesus in me, that he's allowed me to be in his kingdom as a faithful servant. Paul says, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn this. I was the worst you could possibly get. But yet, through his mercy, through his grace, through his love, Jesus has allowed me to come into his presence, allowed me to be in his kingdom, has allowed me to be a faithful servant of his. Paul's picture is that in the midst of, of his sin, in the midst of his guilt, in the midst of his blasphemy and persecution and all these other bad things, God reached out to him and God offered him mercy. God said, I can do away with your past life. I can forgive you of all of that weight. Your guilt will be gone. And Paul took him up on it. And that's the story, really, that Paul wants us to see. That's what Paul wants us to get from this. That when God reaches out and says, your past life can be the past life, you can be a changed person, take him up on it. And that's really what Paul doubles down with, the progression that we see in verses 15 through 16. If you want to look with me again. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Notice the two reasons in this passage that Paul has given of the reason why he received mercy. Okay? Number one, I was dumb and I was acting in unbelief. Number two, that he might show how patient he can be through my life. Those are the two reasons that Paul says we receive mercy. Paul says the reason that you're sitting as a baptized Christian in the church building isn't because you just came from such good stock, that you just had such a naturally good heart, that you just deserved to be able to be in the church. That's not what Paul says. And if that's what you think about the church, you're wrong. Paul says here's the two reasons you've received mercy. Because you were dumb and unbelieving and because he can work through you. If we have this idea that somehow 
we can work our way into deserving the mercy of God, it's never going to happen. You're never going to get there. That if you can just do enough good works, bear enough good fruit, you will magically be worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made. That's not going to happen. And Paul says that's okay. Because none of your salvation depends on you. You don't have to have the strength. You don't provide the true sacrifice. What Paul says is all you have to do to plug into the salvation of Jesus is to faithfully accept, to humbly accept what Jesus has already done. I've used this example no telling how many times. You guys can probably quote it before I even get there. But again, this is the idea of when I plug something into the electrical outlet, I'm not making the power. The power is there. The power is raring to go. All I'm doing is plugging something into it. That's the idea that Paul has about salvation here. The power doesn't come from us. The power doesn't come from anything I do. All I'm doing is plugging in and accepting the power that's there. Jesus has made the sacrifice. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the strength. Jesus has the grace, the mercy, the love, the life, whatever you want to say. It's all there. The question is, will we accept it or not? And I really think it's interesting the way that Paul talks about this. Maybe it's something that I can relate to. When he says that this saying is trustworthy... And I think what Paul is really saying is he's kind of bolding and underlining whatever you want to say, hear this. You can be confident that Jesus will forgive. Because I get it. I, he, I understand when we talk about Jesus' power to save, I fully sometimes believe Jesus has the power to save anyone. But I'm not so sure he'd want to save me. We'll talk about this some as we get to the close of the lesson, but I think sometimes the people we have the hardest idea accepting that Jesus can forgive is sometimes the hardest person I have the idea accepting Jesus can forgive is me. I understand Jesus can forgive all you guys. Y'all are great people. But can Jesus forgive me? And Paul says, look, you can take this to the bank. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. You want to know the purpose of why Jesus went through the shame, why Jesus died, why Jesus did all the things that he did? Because Jesus wanted to save every last sinner. All of them. What does John 3, 16 and 17 tell us? That the whole purpose, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for us so that all may come to him and experience eternal life. That's the same idea Paul picks up on here. That the purpose of who Jesus is and what Jesus did is that he came to save sinners. And if you don't believe that, Paul says, look to my example. I was the worst one of them. Paul said, whatever you've done in your life, I was the foremost sinner. And I don't think that Paul's necessarily trying to exaggerate here. I don't think Paul is necessarily trying to say something outlandish. I think he's saying, look to me. What was I? When people, I, 
I was someone who should have known better. I was someone who heard the word. I was someone who grew up in a culture where I was knowledgeable in the Old Testament scripture. I should have been looking for the Messiah. And yet, when the Messiah came, I rejected him. I rejected his word. I rejected his people. And I went so far as to kill people that were trying to serve God. Paul said, that's who I was. Killing Christians. I was the foremost, chief most, worst sinner you could possibly be. And yet, Jesus showed mercy even to me. And I think one of the things that Paul is trying to say to us here is whatever is in your past, it's not as as bad as what's in Paul's past. And Paul says, if Jesus can forgive me, he will do it for you too. You can take that to the bank. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which all of us are among. The scope of God's forgiveness can be kind of overwhelming sometimes. The idea of this limitless grace, limitless mercy, it's hard to understand how it works in my life, how God will want to forgive my sins. And I want to ask Paul, I want to say, how can you deal with the guilt of being the foremost sinner? How do you deal with all of those terrible things that you did in your past, and yet you don't seem to be held back by those things? And I think the key to that is what Paul says in verse, six, in verse 16. Paul says, I received mercy for this reason. Here's why Jesus was merciful to me, that as the foremost sinner, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, Jesus has offered me a purpose and a mission. Here's the reason that of all people, I was the one that received mercy so that I can help others see that they can receive the same mercy. So that I can live as, as an example to say, look at the change that Jesus brought in my life. Paul says, I was the last one you'd want to show up to a church building. And yet, Jesus has made me a powerful tool, a faithful servant of his word. And Paul says, now my mission is to show others, if Jesus can do this in my life, just imagine what he can do in your life. If Jesus can work this kind of change in my heart, he can and will work the same kind of change in your heart. Paul says, I have become an example in Christ. I have forgotten about myself. My purpose is no longer with me. Notice Paul's purpose is to look outward. His purpose is to serve God and to be an example for others. Now that Paul has been transformed for the gospel, there is no thought about himself anymore. Paul says, I received mercy so that I can help others. That's the message of Paul's gospel. That Jesus worked mercy in my life, even though I didn't deserve it, so that I can reflect his love to others. And I, say, I can say, please come enjoy the same blessings of mercy that Jesus worked in my life. 
because if he can do it for me, I promise you, he will do it for you. That's the message of 1 Timothy 1. That Paul, as the foremost sinner, is reaching out to Timothy and reaching out to us to say, look what Jesus did in my life. He took me from one end of the scale to the other. You can have a mission and a purpose in his kingdom. Paul's message is that Jesus can take the worst parts of your life. Whatever you feel the most guilty about, whatever you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, I can't believe I did that, Jesus can take that part of your life and use it as an example, as service in his kingdom. Do you see how powerful that is? That Jesus takes whatever the worst parts of you and he actually uses them as a tool in his service. It's a complete reversal. Whatever you want to hide, Jesus wants to show for his gospel. That's the power of the forgiveness and repentance and mercy and grace that all of us have been shown. And that's how Paul says you can go from this feeling of guilt to a purpose because Jesus can use you and you can know that Jesus can use you. If you want to finish up this section with me again in verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The, the, Paul ends right where he starts with praise for who God is, that though God is so amazing and so powerful and so worthy and so good and perfect and the only God, he still chooses to care about us, to forgive us even though we don't and never will deserve it. He still freely hands mercy. His grace overflows because that's his character. That's who our God is. So that's the story of 1 Timothy 1. We'll just make a few points together and then the lesson will be yours. Like we said earlier, Everyone has sinned. And the question we keep seeking to ask over and over again in this passage and in this lesson is, but what comes after the sin? What comes after? What do we do next? If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 7, that's where Todd read for us this morning as we started service. Paul's writing to Corinthians here, and, he said, and he's talking about a letter that he had already sent them. And the letter was a harsh, bitter letter. It was a letter that called out the Corinthians for their sin and guilt. It was a letter that was not easy to hear by any means. Paul knew when he wrote that letter that the Corinthians were going to be consumed by a guilt for the sin that they had done. And yet Paul says, I don't regret sending you that letter at all. I don't regret that you felt guilty. If you want to pick back up with me in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 8, here's why Paul says that he doesn't feel guilty about this. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter had grieved you, though only for a while. 
As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Notice what Paul's really saying here. Paul is saying that the grief that... Sin's going to bring guilt. Sin's going to bring grief. Sin's going to bring all these heavy feelings of realizing that you are not worthy of God. But Paul says there's two paths that that grief can take you. And the one path is a worldly grief, a demonic sort of grief. It's the grief that the devil wants to tell you, now that you've messed up, there's no hope for you. Now that you've messed up, God doesn't even want you in his kingdom. Satan's going to try to use your past, use your guilt against you to say, I know God can forgive everybody else, but he wouldn't want to forgive you. Paul says that that sort of thinking, that can only lead to destruction. That can only lead to death. But the other path of grief is a grief where you are more encouraged to dedicate yourself to God in faith. That humbling that happens through the grief inspires you toward repentance, inspires you to come to a fuller relationship with God and to serve Him more fully. Paul says that's the grief we're looking for. And when that grief happens, there's not death, there's not this heaviness, there's comfort. This grief brings life. This grief brings all sorts of wonderful blessings. That's the thing that Jesus can take the guilt in our life and turn it into life. He can turn our guilt into comfort because he will inspire us to come to him more closely in faith and in love. And that's, I think, it really comes together with 1 Timothy 1 to say... I know there's going to be a point where we're all confronted with our sin. There's going to be a point where you realize how unworthy you are compared to where God is. And the message from Paul in 2 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy is that Paul says, but here's what that grief can do in your life. That grief can inspire faith in you. That grief can inspire confidence. It can inspire comfort. And we say, how, Paul? Because then you'll know salvation doesn't come from me. It doesn't rely on me. It doesn't come from my strength. Salvation comes from God and who he is. And Paul says the grief, godly grief, that humility that inspires us to better faith that shows us that no matter what came before 
your repentance. Jesus will take care of all of it. Paul says you can know Jesus came to forgive sinners. Paul says, I know you've had a sinful past. I know you have things that you regret, but despite our past, I guarantee you God will forgive you. You can always come back to him. You can count on that. However big your sin is, God's love and forgiveness is bigger. Jesus offers us to come from guilt to a humble, faithful life in him. He reaches out to us in the midst of our sin and says it doesn't have to be this way. And the question for us is, will we accept that or not? Will we come to him in repentance? Paul says if you do, you'll find a purpose, you'll find life, you'll find comfort. The last thing I'll share with you before the lesson is yours is this. We oftentimes... Um, we oftentimes in the Church of Christ, however you want to define that, we share, we kind of shy away from personal testimony. You know, that's that's sort of something we don't think of as a as a church thing. Paul doesn't shy away from that. Paul actually really uses personal testimony, his own story, a lot in the letters that we have of him. Paul says, this is why I received mercy at all, so that I can help show others the power of grace, the power of forgiveness in my life. Paul really says that the most powerful, one of the most powerful tools that we have is our own example. That really we're missing part of the point of being a Christian at all if we're not letting others know the same mercy that God has worked in our life. Paul says, I received mercy for this reason so that I can be an example and show others the mercy that I have received. That's important. Paul says, the example of what Christ has done in me, the change he has brought in me, can inspire others to the same mercy and love that I have received. God has done amazing things in each and every one of our lives. He has granted us grace and mercy despite our paths. He has granted us a place in his kingdom despite our past. The immensity of God's love, the power of God's forgiveness can be seen in you. It can be seen in the change you've made. You are a tangible evidence of the power of God to forgive. You are. Your life is an evidence of how great our God is. And Paul says, don't hide that. Paul says, use that. Let people see the change that Jesus has brought. Let them know how far you've come in your path with Jesus. That your example can be a powerful tool to let others see that if Jesus can work that amount of change through them, imagine what he could do in me too. Do you see how powerful that is? that Jesus can take our very worst parts and still use them for his service. That's how great our God is. That's how great his plan is. 
And so I encourage you, I challenge you, let's use more of our stories. Let's tell people about the work Jesus has done in us. I'll just, I'll just share with you, I am not a very open person when it comes to this kind of stuff. I'm very private. I don't like, especially sharing my worst parts. But I guess if I'm going to, if we're going to do this, then I guess I should be the one that starts, right? And I'll just tell you, when we look at 1 Timothy 1, sometimes I have a hard time believing that God can forgive me. Sometimes I have a hard time really believing that with all the stuff I've done in the past, that God wants me. Because I know they dressed me up in a suit, they gave me a microphone, so you think I should be professional and good and stuff. But I am a sinner. I have been a sinner. I've done all kinds of things that I really, really regret. And no amount of putting a suit on and putting a microphone on is going to make that go away. And so sometimes I have a really hard time believing that Jesus would ever want me in his service. And through 1 Timothy 1, Paul reaches out to me and he sits me down. He says, who do you think you are? That your sin is so big that it's too big for God? Paul says that doesn't exist. Who do you think you are that you've gone so far that God can't bring you back? And what I needed to hear from 1 Timothy 1 this week is that all of the terrible things in my past, all of the things that I don't want to talk about, those are the things that God can use as an example of the change he's worked in me. And so I challenge you to think about that too. What change has God brought in you? Where have you come from? Because that is a powerful, tangible evidence of the power of our God to forgive and to show mercy. I'll go on and end the lesson there. But I just want to say, as we close... As I've read 1 Timothy 1 throughout this week, I have really come to a greater appreciation for and dependence on the forgiveness and mercy of God. That none of my strength comes from me. It's all God's willingness to take me where I came from and give me a purpose. And all I would ask is, will you join me? Will you Say, whatever's in my past, I know God can take care of it. I know God will forgive it. I know that if I just humbly join myself to him, he will give me strength and comfort and purpose. God's forgiveness is sweet. God's power is immense. And 1 Timothy 1 tells us that Jesus' purpose is to forgive people like you and me. That that's what Jesus wants to do. And the question is, will we let him? So I know normally we kind of offer the invitation exclusively to the people that haven't come to him. And I will, I will say that. 
if you've never come into a relationship with him, what are you waiting for? Jesus wants to forgive you, and he will. The power is there. You just have to accept it. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You can start living as that perfect example that Jesus has for you, that Jesus intends for your path. But a lot of times that's where we end the invitation. I don't want to do that today. Because I think 1 Timothy 1 is a powerful message to Christians. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will use you. Jesus will give you strength and comfort and let you be an example to others, even though you don't think you can be. Jesus can do that through you. Will you accept that? If you want to talk about that more, we'd be happy to. If you, want, if you need our prayers, we'd be happy to pray with you and pray for you. Whatever your need, feel free to come to the front as we stand and as we sing.